If you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn, we'll have the verses on the screen in a moment. But uh, look, uh, we're going to be saying this a lot, turn to Philippians, uh, beginning September 11th and following. We're going to begin a new series in a couple of weeks entitled How Happiness Happens. And there's a lot of melancholy, a lot of sadness. Uh, many are touched with depression. And uh, hope uh, has a way of getting uh, squeezed out of us. And we're going to look... Uh, at something written so long ago, this great letter, and walk through these weeks. I hope you'll be a part. I hope you'll connect to a group uh, to study this along with us. So there's a real richness. One of the things I think we're afflicted with is we uh, run from one Bible study to the next, some of us that are church people, and we don't let that get in us. Uh, one writer said we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. And so when you get into a sermon-based group, like we're calling you into uh, in September for the six weeks following uh, that you'll have this message on the weekend reinforced, driven home. And it's a good thing because we need some more happiness, don't we? So Philippians 2, we'll get there in a moment. Before we get to the book, I want to reference another book. A guy named Darren Hardy wrote a book called The Entrepreneur's Roller Coaster. Anybody ever been involved in a startup? There was nothing, and then you jumped in with some people, and there became something, a business or a church or something, some type of organization that didn't exist prior. It's called a startup. Big out in California. These startups require a lot. And Darren Hardy, the essence of his book, is the roller coaster there are ups and downs heck life has a lot of ups and downs I don't know where you are on the roller coaster uh, right now but life has a lot of ups and downs anyway Darren Hardy in his book uh, cites uh, some research from a Newsweek article that he had read about uh, who will cry at your funeral so let me ask you real quick who do you think will cry at your funeral in this uh, Newsweek article that Darren Hardy cites in his book, he says that on average about 10 people, only 10 people will cry at your funeral. He's floored by this and he thinks, you know, I've spent so much of my life investing in people, building this thing, uh, working with folks, and then you're telling me that only 10 people will cry at my funeral. By the way, any idea of how people determine if they go to your graveside service after the actual funeral? The number one determinant of if someone goes to your graveside service, you ready? Wait for it. The weather. If it's raining, about half the people find that they have somewhere else to be. And he writes and he says, this realization got me to a place where I just realized I cannot care so much about what everybody thinks. So who's going to be at your funeral? Let me tell you before we talk about who's going to be at your funeral. Let me tell you who's not going to be at your funeral. Critics, users, people that latched onto you that didn't have your good in mind. Celebrities, i.e. famous people. Uh, people that you're afraid of people that are afraid of you, people that you're longing to win their approval, but they withhold it. The people uh, that you see, they see you out often, but they can't ever really remember your name. Those people will not cry at your funeral. Well, who will cry at your funeral? Of course, the answer in a literal way uh, resides in who you outlive and such, but you could have your parents or your spouse um, cry at your funeral. Your children are likely to cry at your funeral and your children's families. Some of your best friends, your closest friends could cry at your funeral. Think about this reality. The essence of it is this. The people who will cry at your funeral are the people who saw that you could make and keep commitments. The people that you had a deep attachment to are likely to cry at your funeral. In the Bible, there's a man named Herod. 
Herod lived in first century Palestine, and at his time, he was the most powerful person in the world. He was the greatest builder, but he was a strange dude. In fact, he was an evil guy. He had 10 wives. That alone is evil, right? Uh, he had 10 wives. Allegedly, he only loved one of them, and he had her killed. He had uh, that, that wife's mom killed. He wanted a legacy. He named, kind of like George Foreman. Y'all know the George Foreman story? The former boxer does the grill commercials and he names all of his boys. He had a bunch of boys. He named them all George or some derivative of the name George. You have a bunch of Georges. And Herod named uh, his sons names like Herod Antipas and Herod Philip and Herodias. He gave them names like this. He ended up killing actually three of his sons. And he was so concerned about who would not cry or who would cry at his funeral, thinking nobody would, that on his deathbed... He actually uh, gave orders, gave a mandate, a political mandate that soldiers would kill some important Jewish men so that there would be weeping in the land when he died. Who will cry at your funeral? The people that you've committed to. This uh, week, uh, three of these four weeks that we've been in this series on uh, drive Through Love, we've had this whiteboard out. We've talked about Dr. John Van Epps. Uh, a relationship attachment model. His assertion, and I believe it's true, is that this is the biblical uh, progression of relationships. If you're a visual learner, uh, this is very helpful to you. And by the way, uh, I've been reading some of these education studies. Those of you in education, most of us are, in fact, visual learners. So we've been looking at these five. Uh, we've been in different places in the Bible. Philippians 2.5 is our uh, text, that we're, our target text that we're pointing you to. But we are looking at these each week. And next week on Labor Day, You'll hear us make an announcement at the end of the service, but reminding you if you've been here that this will be a PG-13 sermon on touch. But this is the biblical progression. If you're single, if you're dating, and one day you want to get married, uh, this is critical information for you. If you're married and you want that marriage to grow, I hope that you do, this is important information for you. It will give you some tools to help you navigate the things that will change along the way uh, to the unexpected challenges uh, that come up, the changing seasons. This will give you some of the tools to do that. Going to say it again. If you've been here, repetition uh, enhances uh, your, our learning experience. But I'm going to say it for, the, I guess, the fourth time in our fourth week here. But uh, if you go too fast or get this out of order, you will bring a host of pain in your life. I want to say to you today, and I understand I'm the preacher, I'm holding the Bible, and I, you know, I, I can, it's just easy for me to serve a softball to some of you who are skeptical and say, oh, he's a fuddy-duddy, he's backwoods and old-fashioned. But I'm just telling you, through my many, many, many years of pastoral experience, um, we bring a lot of heartache. You don't need to quote a Bible verse, but when you get this out of order, you bring a lot of heartache in your life. James, the half-brother of Jesus in the third chapter of James would say, um, don't give your lives to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And here's a promise that he makes, a reality. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then there, there exists evil in every disorder. Did you hear that? There's, there is a progression and there's a bad progression. He's saying in this context, I'm doing this by way of analogy, but if, if there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you just don't have bitter jealousy. You just don't have people that are jealous and ambitious. You, actually, you have a whole lot of other things. And that's what I am saying uh, on this relationship attachment model. If you go too far, if you think it's about a drive-through love, a fast, easy, cheap hookup culture, and you go here without knowing someone or knowing that you can trust them or rely on them, you're bringing pain in your life. And I get to hear it. We get to hear it uh, from some of you. It is, it is so, so true. And can you believe this? Who did this? Um, uh, who is Eliza and Allie? That would be Allie Aiken. 
All right. Anybody know Robert and Corey Aiken? That's their daughter. And then who's Eliza? What's the last name? Oh, anyway, we, we call people out at Fonder Church. So if, you, if, your ch- if your children sin, we call them out. Um, um, I didn't even notice that. Did, y'all, did that bother y'all a little bit? Huh? It bothered you? Yeah, you almost went up there. Thank you. But you didn't, Daniel. Come on. Have, have a brother's back. Okay. Ar- earlier, by the way, an old Miss friend got me because uh, we spelled it relationship. And one of my oldest friends thought we were giving a shout out to the, to the rebels before football season. But anyway, we, we make a few mistakes here. But this is the biblical progression uh, of relationships. I want to talk to you today. I want to give you four things about commitment and then two things real quick about uh, a corollary word to commitment. Here's the first thing. And I think the men of the house will agree. Commitment is scary. Remember last week we read all of Romans 12. And Romans 12 begins. It says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by what? Anybody know? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, you're asked as a follower of Jesus to think differently, to think differently about uh, God, about ideas, about love, about knowing and trusting and relying and committing and touching. All these things, think differently about. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to that. But here's what the world does with this idea of commitment. It lies to you. It lies to you and makes you believe things that aren't true about you, about God, about other people. Um, to commit, uh, look, we, we, the world teaches us this, that we were lo- we're looking for exit strategies, for escape clauses, and for other options. Uh, they even give it a moniker. It's called FOMO. I know you've heard about it. Some of you got it. I'm an extrovert. Sometimes the staff will hang out my office, outside of my office laughing and having a good time because they know I'm coming out. I can't miss out on anything. And commitment folks, people who struggle, people who avoid commitments think they're missing out. And so I don't know if some of you are like that with the remote control or in the car when people are riding along with you. You're always changing, you know, because there could be a better song. There could be a better show. Uh, there could be a better spouse. There could be a better friend. There could be a better kid. There could be a better church. There's not a better church. You're at the best one there could be something better and better I'm kidding if you're here for the first time but uh, we always think there could be something better and we are looking for what exit strategies escape clauses and other options the opposite of commitment we think is freedom oh I'm going to be free if I make a commitment I'm going to lose all of this freedom and here's what Jesus would say in John chapter 8 he the Jews were around him and they were just getting a feel for his masterful teachings It says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, by the way, there's a progression to this teaching. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Real quick side note, I didn't do this at the earlier service, but we think the progression is uh, we'll find all this freedom as we instantly know Jesus. Look, listen to what Jesus said, follow him, take take him at his word, begin to trust him and see what he does. You'll find a freedom like nothing else. That's honestly my own testimony, if you can hear the passion in my voice. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, everybody's heard this, then you are free indeed. Even those last two words, free indeed, do you get the connotations? Do you get the implications that there's a freedom Jesus is saying without saying it? There's this freedom that we think is free, but it's not really free. But commitment, I said this in a, a couple of weeks ago, I sort of got ahead of myself from today's sermon, but commitment makers and commitment keepers know a freedom that commitment avoiders will never know. And Jesus is saying 
commit to God, commit to a few, commit to the greatest cause ever known, this God-ordained huge vision that I have for the world, ultimately for the new heaven and the new earth where you will sing a new song. And this is freedom, committing to that. And we think the opposite. We think, and if you think, if you're avoiding commitments at every level for fear of missing out, if you have exit strategies and escape clauses because of all the other options you have in friends and church and family and spouse and all, you're missing the joy of the freedom that Jesus gives by following him and committing, uh, committing selflessly to something. So the first thing we're saying is that commitment is scary. Can I get an amen? But it is. It is scary because you do lose some freedom. You do lose some of your individuality. You do lose some of the choices that you would make. But paradoxically, there's a freedom like you would never, ever know. Second thing besides commitment is scary is commitment is the big dog in making relationships work. The, uh, every relationship rises and falls on your ability to commit or not commit. This is the big dog. Philippians 2.5, is your Bible open? Philippians 2.5 is sort of our uh, memory verse for the entire series. It is what I've been calling the target passage. Uh, it's not like, oh, I want to have a relationship like so-and-so, because people, if you don't know, are going to let you down. If you know, preachers and parents and leaders, teachers, coaches, people you look up to, they're going to they're gonna let you down. But our target is Philippians 2.5. In your relationships, have the mind of Christ Jesus. So that's our target. But notice the verses after Philippians 2.5. Who being, this is Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. What's, what does that last line mean? Here's what Paul wants you to get there, and I want you to get it today. He, he's saying the worst kind of death imaginable to humans. The worst kind of death, the death that involves torture and suffering. But here's where relationships languish. This is the place where relationships die or they just don't flourish and go well. It's when you think you're the COU, the center of your universe, where you want the top spot on the org chart. Has that ever gone well for anybody? If you have two people in a friendship, two people in a dating relationship, two people in a marriage, and both people want the top spot, both people want to crawl over each other to be the leader, to be the ruler over the other. Uh, Jesus is saying, and in Jesus we have this, the way to commit, the way to understand the freedom of commitment and the beauty and wonder that follow is that freedom, you must understand, involves death. Can I just say that just to preach the truth and not sugarcoat it? Freedom involves a death. What do you die to? Jesus said if you want to gain the whole world, you lose your life. This doesn't mean you're a worm. This doesn't mean uh, that you have low self-image. This doesn't mean that you let people run over you. This doesn't mean per last Sunday's sermon that you're not a codependent person. But this does mean that Jesus uh, implants you with the dignity, all the dignity uh, that, that you deserve. He gives you this dig dignity, imputes it within you, but he says, lay down your life. Die to yourself. Die to your selfishness and give yourself 
uh, to another. We have our, uh, our own story, Susan and I do. We met some 28 uh, years ago, and it was kind of funny. When we met, we knew that uh, weeks after we met, we would have a long-distance, coast-to-coast relationship. But it's sort of like God was laughing at me because I had been sort of a flirt, and I was flirting with her. But it was like, hey, we're going to be apart from each other, so we have to... F- of call each other. We're going to write letters. We, by the way, saved those letters from 28, 27 years ago. But we wrote, it was a, a way for uh, uh, us to just really, in a unique way, get to know each other. But as we got to know each other, uh, we developed trust for each other. I sort of said this last week, but if you're dating real quick and you have a pen, I would write this down. Who should you be looking for? Look for three things in uh, someone you're dating, a potential uh, relationship, romantic relationship, or deep friendship. Look for someone who communicates honestly who behaves as expected, and who follows through on their promises. One more time, look for someone who communicates honestly, who behaves as expected, and who follows through on their promises. This is what we began to find in each other. Hey, I'll call you tonight at 8. 8 o'clock came. I loved her. I wanted to call her right at 8 o'clock. We began to develop trust and relying on each other. And then one day she suckered me into a tuxedo and a crumpled white shirt. And we stood at a Lutheran church on the cliffs of Southern California. And we had us a wedding. And members of the USC marching band played uh, music at our wedding. And we've spent 26 years Uh, touching each other, if you know what I'm saying. Um, That's just a trial balloon for next Sunday's sermon, just to see if anybody's ready and y'all aren't ready. Um, Are you ready, babe? Hold your head up. We're good. Just a little preview. Yeah, next week. Um, But commitment is, is scary. It is scary, but it's the big dog that determines if a relationship works. And the world is starving for people that will commit themselves uh, to the right people and the right cause in the right way. Um, And our model is Jesus. The third thing I want to say to us is that you choose to commit. I'm not the first person to say this. Many people have, so I don't know who I'm directly quoting. But love is a decision. To commit is a verb. You choose to to do. Lauren does such a good job leading our songs, doesn't she? I just love it uh, every week. I love to be here. Even if I wasn't paid to be here, I'd want to be right here uh, on Sundays. I want to lead us in a song. When you, when, you, um, when you can get there with me, just start singing along, hopefully some of you, uh, pretty, pretty early. Okay, y'all with me here? <clears throat> you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips and there's no tenderness anymore in your fingertips you're trying hard not to show it baby but baby you lost that love and feeling key change whoa that love and feeling come on church you've lost that love and feeling now it's gone 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 Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Here's what we think. Even in churches, we think love is this feeling and we're like, what? Like we misplaced it. Where did I, you know, we, so and so, Preacher Green lost his hair. I didn't lose my hair. I'm not going around looking for it. We don't lose love. We don't misplace it. It's not something we fall into. Love is a decision uh, 
to choose is a verb. Uh, the verses, remember our verses, Philippians 2, 5, we looked at the verses following in it, and this is the verse that precedes it, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, about Jesus, our target, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not look into your own interest, but each of you uh, to the interest of others. This is what the world is looking for and longing for, that we could put other people uh, in front of us, and love is a choice to be able to do that, to stay at it uh, always. The fourth thing we'll say about uh, commitment is we say commitment is scary. We said that commitment is the big dog that makes relationships work. We said that commitment is a choice. And lastly, we're saying commitment can seem old-fashioned like another word, dot, dot, dot. And here is that other word. It's the word faithfulness. Few things hurt like unfaithfulness. And many of you know that. And many of you know that, think you're the only one that knows that. And the enemy isolates you in your mind. But so many of us have been touched by unfaithfulness. And just as many of you were vigilant during COVID as of a virus that spreads to other people, I would say that unfaithfulness is a lot like that. I believe that when we see someone fall, when we see a marriage dissolve, when we hear of yet another leader who did not walk with integrity, when we see somebody uh, in the ditch, then it's easy for us to go, well, that's just the way we are. Uh, I'm, I'm only human, as another song says that I won't sing. Uh, flesh and blood, I'm just a, I'm just a human. And we, it's easy for us to, to think that way. And faithfulness seems um, to be such a lost art, such a... Such a um, unseen, unheard, unfelt reality. A guy named Solomon thousands of years ago wrote something that I think rings true to us today. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? To be committed, it's to stay after it. It is scary. It's a choice. It's the, it's the big dog of relationships. It's the thing that makes it work. It's scary, though, uh, to enter into a relationship, but it's a choice uh, that we make, and it's sort of like an old-fashioned thing. And young people especially, I know it's common. We worship youth and beauty, and it's common to make fun of the older crowd and the older ideas, and I get that. I've been a, I've been a part of that. Um, I, there's times when I want to mock, mock the old fuddy-duddies myself, but listen, faithfulness is a thing that we long for. We're created, and what Solomon said thousands of years ago, it happens to us today, and we need, because we know so many people, they're not going to cry at our funeral. They're not committed to us, but they tell us at times that they are, and young people especially, look at me one more time, because your parents will be proud of me for saying this. Look for someone who communicates honestly, who behaves as expected, and who follows through on their promise. And when you find a few like that and that one, then they're worthy of you committing to. Let me say something about this, about this word faithfulness. And let me, let me uh, real quick, uh, Beth Moore, the great writer um, who went Anglican on us, good for her. She said this years ago, faithfulness is resting in his certainty, persuaded by his honesty, trusting in his reality, being won over by his sincerity, being sure that he's sure and believing that he's worth believing. How good is that? This is the invitation. Hear me now. When we talk about this relationship model and some of you point a finger back and say, well, you're trying to control me or you're trying to be old-fashioned or you're trying to tell me to move out before I get married. Yes, I am telling you those things, but here's what I'm saying. God made you. 
God loves you. God knows you best, and he knows what's best for you. And hear me now, wait for it, because it takes a lot of faith sometimes. But he really does want what's best for you. He really, really does. The psalmist in two places would put it this way. In the 89th chapter, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. Verse 8 of the same chapter, O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you? O Lord, you are entirely faithful. Faithless. Here's what I want to say. Two things in closing about uh, the word faithfulness. Now, it means the, 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 the meaning of faithfulness. It carries the weight, uh, the synonyms of firm, steady, sure, rock solid, dependable, trustworthy. It's what we long for in our relationships. It's what we see ultimately in the one and only God. God keeps all of his promises. The first thing I want to say, two things quickly, is that faithfulness is persisting even when I want to quit. You want to be committed to the God who committed to you. You want a few deep attachments where there is intimacy as appropriate, but it's, it's someone that you really do know that knows you, someone that you can trust and rely on who's committed to you as you are committed uh, to them. But it's persisting even when you want to quit. A friend of mine talked about a hard time in his life. I can relate to it where you want to quit. There's an expression. I'm at the end of the rope. I want to throw in my towel. Anybody today, don't answer out loud, but is anybody there? Are you on the cusp of you want to quit? You want to throw in the towel? A buddy of mine says that it was a point in his life several years ago where he wanted to throw in the towel and God threw it back and said, wipe your face. We're not there yet. Maybe you need to hear that because faithfulness is persisting even when I what? want to quit. Even when I think freedom is following my feelings, following my feelings, following my feelings, doing what I want, living in freedom. That's not. Freedom is finding the worthwhile commitments in your life. Um, if you were to ask an Olympic weightlifter, if he always feels like working out, what's he going to say? I don't always feel I really connect uh, personally to this illustration here. But uh, we uh, weightlifters don't always feel uh, like working out, but they stay after it. If you were to ask a master musician, a concert uh, uh, a pianist, one of the top in the world, if you were to ask them, hey, do you always want to practice hours a day? What's their answer going to be? The same as the weightlifter. I don't always want to do this, but they stay after it. They stay after it. They don't quit. Listen, faithfulness, the corollary to the word commitment, that uh, old-fashioned word that we need today, a corollary to this, to this word faithfulness. Um, here's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is resisting that temptation a thousand times if need be. That same temptation that trips you up, resisting it a thousand times if you must. Uh, faithfulness means giving when you feel like there's nothing else to give. Uh, faithfulness is working on that relationship when you hit a hard place, an extreme difficulty, a major rut. It's working through that problem. It's getting all the help that God can give through his people, working through that problem rather than discarding it like yesterday's junk mail. Faithfulness is staying after it when you feel like it. Faithfulness is when the wave of adversity are crashing into your boat, you keep sailing with God on board. That is faithfulness. Here's a picture of an Olympic runner from Tanzania. Um, he started the race just like everybody else, but he had difficulty finishing. He did finish. He fell across the line when he entered into Olympic Stadium that year. 
almost nobody was left in the crowd. Most people had already gone home. When he crossed, when he fell across the finish line, there were very few people to cheer him on. Bloody, bandaged leg. By the way, if that picture looks fuzzy, uh, please don't operate heavy machinery later today. Um, but he, he bloody and bandaged leg there, and he fell, fall, falls across the finish line. And in a post-run interview, after 26.3 miles, they ask him about his finish. And he says this, quote, unquote, My country, Tanzania, did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Christian, follower of Jesus, you are called to be sent. He sent you into the world, not to stay in a holy huddle, not to be at church all week, not to be in the walls of a sanctuary all the time, but to be in the world. You're sent. You're sent to your workplace. You're sent to your family. You're sent to your school. You're sent to this world. We already have our 2023 global mission trips on the calendar. You can look at them for all of next year and sign up. You are sent to go to your small group and be transparent and work through following Jesus. You are sent, and it makes all the difference. Can I say from personal experience, it makes all the difference. And not just that I am sent, it's the sender. The more important than the sent is the one who sends. So faithfulness is persisting even when you want to quit. The second thing is this. Faithfulness is keeping my promises when I feel like bailing. Numbers 23, 19 put it this way about God. God is not a man. Look at me real quick. I know you want to finish. Look look at me real quick. Man is going to let you down. Man is going to, you're going to find out about man. You're going to find out that they're going to let you down. And you'll never find a perfect man. The Bible itself says in James 3, for we all stumble in many ways. Man is going to let you down. If you've been let down by a preacher or by a parent or by a coach or by a loved one, by an ex, man is going to let you down. So ultimately, it's my job to stand here. And the best word I can give you today is commit to the one who's committed to you. And there's no one like our God. So he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Psalm 144, our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. God is a provider. He will go on to say that he's never seen the righteous begging for bread. God always will keep his word. Jesus put it this way. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Faithfulness is keeping your promises even when you want to bail. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Lauren, as you and the team begin to come up, as they make a little stir, a little commotion, stay focused uh, here at the end, uh, really important for you this morning. I've got friends who are a father and three sons and uh, just a, a great uh, group of guys, great family. They love their wives and children really well. They've been examples to me. They built a cabin together. They've got skills I don't have. They built a cabin uh, by a lake in the woods out west, and they did this together, and they uh, did confess that they used subcontractors. And one day I was with them at the completion of the cabin. Uh, they hadn't let me use it very often. I drop hints from time to time, but apparently... It's family only. But anyway, uh, they were talking about their cabin and they were talking about the frustration that they had. Even though they did a lot with their own hands, they, they did need and they utilized some subcontractors. And they were frustrated at times with the subcontractors who maybe didn't always communicate honestly and behave as expected and follow through on their promises. And uh, the, the, one of the sons said, you know, we're good at this. I'm really good at this. And uh, I think I'm going to start my own construction company. 
I'm going to retire and do my own construction company. And the dad's response, I'll never forget this. He, he said, he goes, yeah, if you start a construction company, call it, we will show up. That, and just, you will stand out. Just, we will show up. Because what's the, what's the idea that so few people actually show up? And so I want to ask you, as we talk today about commitment, I want to ask you, do you show up? If we were to talk to your parents, would they say that you show up? If we were to talk to your kids, would your kids say that you show up? If we were to talk to your spouse, what would they say? Your best friend, would they describe you as somebody who shows up? If we talk to your church, would they say, man, he shows up? Are you a person who shows up? Would you stand and let me close with this final illustration and then verse real quick. In a book, The Hidden Value of a Man, Gary Smalley tells the story of a 40-year-old man in his office who something happened to him 28 years prior that was still messing with his heart. He writes about this, borrowing the words of of the story of this um, man, this 40-year-old man who one time was a 12-year-old, who writes, who says, I was 12 years old and I was in scouts and we had a father-son scouting trip, a camp out in the woods for a few days and I was so excited I couldn't wait to get home I was thrilled to tell my dad about it and to invite him I wanted him to learn I wanted him to know all that I had been learning in scouts and he agreed to go on the camp out with me it was Friday the plan was everybody every father every son meet at the the local school parking lot at 5 o'clock they would caravan out carpool out and go camping for a few days and he Friday finally came and he was so excited and so he met his dad late afternoon. He was waiting on his dad. His dad was late. His dad wasn't there before 5 o'clock to make it to the local school at 5. He wasn't there. He waited till 6. And he wasn't there. He waited till 7. And his dad pulls in. His dad explained to him that he had some really bad things happen at work that day. And that uh, don't worry. Be a good boy. Don't worry about it. But we'll go tomorrow. We'll catch up with him. And we'll leave at 7 in the morning. He was uh, crestfallen but thought, hey, dad said to buckle up. So I'll... Uh, I can get over this and I'll just look forward to the morning. He could barely sleep. He got up early. He put all of his camping gear into his dad's car. Seven o'clock rolled around. His dad wouldn't get up. About 8.30, his dad gets up and says, son, my back hurts. In fact, I can't go camping. My back on that rock solid ground, it just wouldn't be good for me. I've got a couple of other commitments. I hope hope you'll understand. And this 40-year-old, tells about him at 12 years old said the hardest thing he'd ever done to that point was walking out to his car and getting his backpack and getting his cooking stove and his pup tent and everything and taking it out of his dad's car and he he writes that he didn't know his dad didn't know that he was still watching him but about an hour later that dad walked out and slung some golf clubs over his shoulder and got in his car and drove to make a commitment How do you recalibrate a boy who's become a man who was damaged by his dad's lack of commitment? A friend of mine in a small group of mine asked me the other day, hey, I'm, I'm really becoming a dad now. I've got a couple of kids that are getting older. Can you give me a book to help me on being a dad? And I, I gave him a couple of books. But look, if you're here today or anybody, I'm just telling you, that this is what you need right here. You can read some good books about fatherhood, but you need to show up. You need to show up and you need to keep your word. Let me pray for us. Lord, today we close by pointing to you, the one who's committed to us. Lord, moments ago, hundreds of us got up out of our seats and walked down front 
to take a cup, to observe your commitment to us, to bring into our minds one who's fully, fully committed to us, who loves us no matter. Lord, for the one who's broken promises, for the one who's been hurt by the broken promises, for the hearts that are afraid to commit, for the hearts that have never really seen commitment, for the ones who are so close to getting it right, for the ones who are loving their feelings and loving that girl or that guy that's making them feel good, but they know they're not communicating honestly, behaving as expected, or following through on their promises. And pain is, pain is inevitable. Lord, would you give them the courage they need to get out, to wait and trust you because, God, you have made us, you know us, you love us, and you really do desire what's best for us. God, bless these tithes and offerings as ushers come. Let our church be marked by greater and greater levels of generosity. In Jesus we pray. Amen.